What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So if I was to title this chapter of Revelation chapter 19, uh, it would just be Worship, a Wedding, and a War. Worship, Wedding, and War. And in this one chapter, there's a lot of tension that's going on, which is what life is for us. Uh, For me personally, uh, just this week, uh, one of my childhood friends, and some of you know uh, him, uh, Brian Nolan, 51 years old. He was uh, 11 months older than me. He just passed away this past weekend. And, um, And so it's... It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for the family, uh, for his mom. So I, I would treasure, I appreciate your prayers. Pray for the Nolan family. Um, but at the same time, we've got a great celebration going on because Alec and Danielle Tierney welcomed their third child into this world as well. Yeah. So there's a tension. There's a tension. There's a tension in life where there is a weeping and sorrow that lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning, and, and so there's a tension here in this passage, and there's going to be worship, there's going to be a wedding, then there's going to be a war that takes place, so let's get our seatbelts on and let's just dive into God's word. Revelation 19, verse 1, it says, after this, after this. What seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I want you to highlight that. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. I want you to highlight his judgments are true and just. Sometimes we have issue with that. And it's because we've created God in our own image and likeness. We've made an idol out of God. We want him to be who we want him to be, not who he is. His judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah. It's the second time. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the 24 living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. It's the third time. Third time we see this word, hallelujah. It's an imperative phrase, imperative, meaning not an option. It's imperative that we give God hallelujah. It also means praise the Lord. So if you're wondering what that means, praise the Lord. So you see it again here in verse 5 on human, on mankind. And we've had issue with that. We're struggling with that. Here's why you're struggling. Because you fashioned God into your own image and likeness. And some of us are even parenting out of that where we don't discipline our children. And the Bible says if you do not discipline them, you hate them. We get in trouble when we want to be nicer than God. 
It's funny to me when, some, when, I, when I hear people that don't spank. It's not funny. It's kind of sad. And here's why. I say, just give me one, one verse in the Bible that says don't spank. Crickets. Do you want to ask me how many are in the Bible that say to spank? Oh, there's a lot. There's over 20. Not only that, but in Hebrews, it says that God scourged. He's disciplined. He scourges. He whips his own children. Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus learned obedience through what? What he suffered. Pain, pain is weakness leaving the body. And children need to learn obedience. If you spare the rod, you spoil the child. The rod of correction drives folly from a fool. I can keep going all day. But see, we don't want to do that because we want to be nicer than God. It's very dangerous. This is why we have an issue with all of the wrath and the punishment, because we've created God in our own image and our own likeness. Let's do a little rewind before we forget. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 6, please. And we're just going to do a quick drive-by so you can have a heavenly perspective because when you get a heavenly perspective, you'll begin to see things on earth in a proper way. Understand the wrath of God and his justice is perfect. It's perfectly measured out. Revelations chapter 6, verse 10 And they cried out with a loud voice. They are crying with a loud voice. Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood? Justice demands that vengeance happens. That payback happens. And there was a a voice. They were given a white robe and they told to wait, to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Go to Revelation 11.10. So they're crying out for justice and God says, wait. They had been killed. They had their heads chopped off. Revelation 11.10, those who dwell on earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. You also see up there, they let their bodies lie in the streets for three days. And these are the two prophets prophesying the things of God. And when these people are killed, the world is rejoicing, making merry, and, and giving gifts to one another over somebody who died, God's people who were dead. Go to Revelation 13, please. Look at the beast and its haughtiness in verse 5. The beast was given a mouth, Revelation 13, 5, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. They were allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, and it opened its mouth and uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven, it was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Revelation 16.9, Revelation 16.9, and these judgments are coming on the earth, and instead of repenting, instead of returning, instead of renouncing their lifestyle and giving their life to Jesus, they continued to curse him. Verse 9, they were scorched with fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had the power of these judgments, and they did not repent and give him glory. Go down to verse 11, please. They cursed the God of heaven. 
They cursed the God of heaven. They did not repent. Verse six, chapter 16, verse 21. 1621. Again, they cursed God. They're cursing God. Revelation 17, 6. So again, 17 and 18 of Revelation chapter 6 is a summation of the entire tribulation period where 16 is the one world religion that's going to happen one day. And 18, chapter 18, is the Babylonian one world order system that's going to happen one day. And, and in that, understand the judgments are going to come again. Revelation 17, 6, it says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. Drunk with the blood of the saints. The blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Revelation 18, 24. And in her, in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all that have been slain on earth. Justice is coming, but it's not here yet. Justice is coming, but it's not here yet. Revelation 20, verse 4. Just so that we're going to skip ahead a little bit, just so that you can get a glimpse to what was really going on. I saw thrones and seated on them. 20, verse 4, Revelation. Those who had the authority to judge was, was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. In the tribulation period, those saints will have to get their heads chopped off. For the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. They would not worship the beast or its image. So, guys, the worship that's happening in Revelation 19. And Jason, do you have the key to the, the, the kitchen? Is it? Do we, are we getting that going, guys? Somebody get on the, with, the, with the communion. Just forget what I just said. I'm talking to our, to our staff. Um. Jason, what was I saying before I talked to you? Okay, yeah. So <laughs> there's worship that's going on in heaven because of the justice, because of the justice, because of the justice. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 9, 4, please. I don't know if you came to Consecration Week this week, but man. Amazing. I had amazing times with the people of God gathered around a word of God, worshiping God together and praying to God. It was just awesome. But in that, as you read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you begin to see the character and nature of God, that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. God has to judge wickedness. He has to, or else he's not just, or else he's not true. He has to judge it, or he wouldn't be a good God. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4. Some people have issue with all of the murder and all of the destruction that the Israelites did when they came into the land because all of this killing happened. And we think that it's just way too much. It's just not good. It's not deserved. But we don't see things like God sees things. Deuteronomy 9, 4. And God is speaking to the children of Israel, and it says this, Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of your righteousness that God has brought me into this possession of this land. Where it is be, whereas it is because of the wickedness 
of these nations that the Lord is driving them out. There's wickedness, great wickedness. Yeah, people were sacrificing brand new babies on the arms of Molech and the statue would be lit on fire and they would take a live little baby and they would put it right on the arms of that statue and they would sacrifice it. God was judging that and he was using Israel to cleanse the land of the wickedness. We see with Noah that God judged And by his grace, he sent this prophet building this boat for a hundred years, proclaiming truth, proclaiming truth. And for a hundred years, people mocked and laughed until it was too late. The door was shut. God is a God of grace, but someday his grace is going to run out. That's why you're here today. It's the justice of God that is coming upon this earth. I want you to put up that picture, Jeremy please, of the the DNA. I'm reading an amazing book. It's called Agape Road. Phenomenal. Highly recommended by a guy named Mumford. But I want you to understand something. As I was reading this book, and this is a picture from this book, and I want you to turn to Exodus 34, since you're right there, right? Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it's a few books back. So Exodus chapter 34, As I'm meditating on this book and I'm meditating on the DNA of God and on the agape of God, I decide to put the book down and go into the word of God. I don't know if you do that, Christian, but sometimes you need to read a book, put it down, and go to the word and sit in the word. Don't just believe what you read. Even though I recommend the book, the book's wrong. That's a bad picture. I think he's passed away, so it's, I mean, he's not going to be able to edit the book if he sees this. But I want you to look at God's DNA here. Exodus 34. This is him revealing himself to man. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. See, Moses was saying, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me who you are. And here's what it says. The Lord, the Lord, merciful, gracious, slow to anger. So it's so doctrinally right, right there, right? Abounding in steadfast love. Faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. And we just love that. And let's just stop there and kumbaya all the way down the road. No, it doesn't stop there. Because what should be last on this list is God's justice. He has to punish sin. If God didn't have to punish sin, Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross. God has to punish sin. If you are here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, repented of your sin and trusted what Christ did on the cross, guess what? You have nothing that's going to take away your sin because Jesus is the only one that takes away sin. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be kind enough. You are stuck in your sin and there is one Savior. His name is Jesus and he took the wrath of God for us because all of us have sinned sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But if we say, I don't need you, Jesus, you're stuck in your sin and justice will come one day. Because we've all sinned. 
We've all sinned. So how often do we forget about the justice of God? He is just. He is just. He is just. God will one day destroy the wicked. And he has to because that's his nature. He is holy. Any view of God that eliminates the justice and the judgment of God and his hatred of sin is an idol. That's an idol. Because he's righteous, because he's just, he must punish sin. God is righteous, so he never does anything wrong. God has his own rules, and he doesn't break his own rules to make us feel better. When I wanted to teach my son grace, he got in trouble, and he knew he was going to get a whooping because in our home, if you disrespect the queen, it was an automatic spanking. Never talk back. Always honor the queen. That was the standard. Rebellion is the sin of what? So when their little rebel hearts rebel, we got to move to something. And so, spanking. I'll be right in, son. I go in, Lord, I never want to spank out of anger. Please help me. Help me to do it in love. I go in there. Told him what he did. What's the consequence for that? Because the consequences were already set because I'm not a reactionary parent. Hello. We tell them up front what's going to happen. So when they do it, they know what's going to happen and there's no conversation. But I go in there one time. Christopher, you know what's going to happen. Yes, sir. It's always yes, sir, when they know they're getting the spanking. I say, is there what I want you to do, buddy? I want you to go ahead and take the wisdom maker. That's what we called the spanker. The wisdom maker. And I want you to go ahead and spank me. He's like, what? Yeah, go ahead. Hit me as hard as you can. And so he did. (laughs) But that was a lesson that I pray never forgets. Because grace isn't just forgetting about something. Grace means somebody stepped in and took the punishment that you deserve. Do not cheapen grace by thinking God's just kind of forgot about things. No, God didn't forget about anything you and I have done. He counted every single sin that we've ever done, and he said, I will embrace the cross. I will take the wrath because I love you, and I'm going to stand in your place, and this is the glory of the gospel. And when we don't understand the wrath and the justice of God, we do not understand the gospel and the beauty of it. Amen? We probably need to do a parenting class, by the way. So anyway, somebody wants to uh, do about 20 hours of administration work for me this week. Maybe I can put together. I'm just kidding. All right, let's keep going, guys. We got that? Yeah. Listen, the grace of God, the wrath of God, the justice of God. We worship him for this. 
All right, marriage, supper of the Lamb. Switching gears. Wrath, worship, adoration, who he is. Now we're going into marriage and celebration, okay? So, let me just say this, church, God loves to party. So we just, we're moving off wrath, we're going into partying. Listen, <laughs> there is nothing more spiritual than being on the party planning committee. Why do you say that, Chris? Well, let's look at the prodigal son. What happened? God jacked up his whole life, came home, hugged, and what did dad say? Let's throw a party. It's time to party. Listen, God, we're uptight sometimes as Christians, okay? So religious spirit broken off in Jesus' name. Fellas, listen, ladies, you're not going to get this. Some of you may, but guys, we were hooked up in the garden. She was naked. First command, be fruitful and multiply. Hey, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good day. That's a pretty good system that's set up, man. Now, the enemy's perverted a lot of that stuff, so there's wounds and stuff, but listen, God's not uptight. That's why I tell my wife, we got to get back to the garden, baby. Naked and unashamed. Can I get a witness? Think about this as well. What's the first miracle Jesus did? Water into wine. He comes on the scene. The promised Messiah, water into wine. He likes to party. He likes to party. He likes to party. And, and, and we miss, you know, that one verse in, in Nehemiah chapter 8 that says, the joy of the what? Lord is your strength. Guess what? Pre, pre that. It says to the people, stop weeping, stop repenting, go eat food and drink wine because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you know the feasts had wine attached to them? And again, in our our Western Christianity, we get uptight about this stuff. Now listen, some of you, let me give you just a little pushback here. Some people have issues with alcohol, so I'm not trying to make light of this situation and don't ever do anything that will cause your brother to stumble. Paul said, if I eat meat and offends my brother, then I'm never going to eat meat again, right? So, but understand the, 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 the Bible talks about joy and celebration and wine and the feasts. This is our God whom we worship. There's a word for grape juice. It's not used there in Cana. It's wine. Verse 6. Oh, by the, by the way, we got some good party planners in our church that planned a party on October 3rd at Gaines Park from 11 to 1. Wiffle ball, kickball, October 23rd, right? Did I just say that? I said the third? All right. Got fact checkers up in here. 11 to 1, Gaines Park. Information's in your, in your bulletin. It should be there. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Food is provided. Sign-up info is on the table. If you want to get beat down, 
I don't think there's going to be wine there. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's not. So we're not going, going partying in context here. But anyway, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah. That's the fourth time we see it. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, he reigns. Look at what that says, a roar, like thundering worship, a roar, a roar. You know, it's funny because Drew this morning, I have this in my notes. I got a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and I don't know if Drew knew he was quoting Charles Spurgeon, but this is what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, we should not worship God in a half-hearted sort of way. Heavenly worship is loud and thundering worship. We should not worship God in a half-hearted sort of way, as if it were now our duty to bless God. This isn't duty on Sunday morning. This isn't ritual on Sunday morning. No, 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 Spurgeon goes on to say. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Come, wake up my heart and summon the powers to wait upon you, O God. Mechanical worship is easy, but worthless. And he says this, come rouse yourself, my brethren. Rouse yourself, O my soul. So Drew was quoting Spurgeon, and now Spurgeon was quoting Psalm 103, which says this, bless the Lord, O my soul. Sometimes you have to speak to your soul, your soul, your mind, your will and emotions. You've got to speak. Get up. Get up. Wake up, O sleeper. Arise and let's give him what he deserves. Sometimes when you come in here on Sunday, God, help me to forget about myself. This is not about me today. It's not about how I feel. It's not about what I think. It's about who you are and the greatness of your glory. Let me give you what you deserve. And some of you are like, dude, this guy's too extra. There's a roar, guys. There's a roar, and there's a lion inside of you, and you got to let him out of the cage. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, Psalm 103. All of you, all of you, all of you. We don't want a dead duck up in here. Verse 7, he deserves the highest praise. He deserves our roar. He deserves. Verse 7, let us rejoice and let us exalt and let us give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. I want you to highlight bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright Bright, that Greek word is lampros. It's where we get the word lamp, if you will. It means a radiant glory. Christian, the precious bride of Christ. Jesus declares, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are called to shine bright, to be radiant and glorious. The next word, pure, katharos. It means a pure loyalty and a pure faithfulness. Like, 
Who can ascend to the hands to the hill of the Lord? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. God, purify my heart so there's no mixture in my life as I worship you. Change the things that I can't change myself, God. The strongholds in my life that keep me from you, break them, please. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I want you to keep your place there, and I want you to turn to Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. So here's the question. It says the bride has made herself ready. So we should be saying, okay, how do I do that? How do I practically make myself ready? The first step is this, is that you receive. Receive. Ephesians 5.25. I want you to understand, church, that this whole thing about husbands and wives... It's really about the church and how Jesus moves towards his church. So I want you to look at verse 29 so that we can see it properly in context. It says, no one ever hated his own flesh, Ephesians 5, 29, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You want to highlight that. Christ does that to the church. Now, if you're a Christian, you should be saying, okay, am I doing anything to, to this? Am I doing any of this stuff to the church? Or am I just attending? So let's go back up to 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. On the cross, he died for her. That he might sanctify her. That means set her apart having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word so that she might present the church to himself and splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands love your wives, love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So if you're taking note, listen, step one is just receiving what God has done. Number one, he died for her. He set her apart. He cleanses her. He washes her with the word. He presents her. Do you know Christ wants to present you to to the world? He presents her without spot, without wrinkle, holy, without blemish. He nourishes her. He cherishes her. This is what God is doing as he loves you, as you are married to him, as you are now one with him through the covenant of his own blood. And step number one, how to make yourself ready is just to receive what he wants to do and receive what he has already done. The second thing is you need to understand that you are now yoked to Jesus. Do you remember that passage when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your soul. Take my what? Yoke. A yoke is a device that links one animal with another animal. And they both learn how to plow straight together. You are now yoked up with Jesus. Like, like sometimes we, we say things, God, please show up. No, he's already here. You're yoked to him. 
You're yoked to him. He says he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He says when we gather in his name, two or three, right? He's here. He's here. He's here right now. That's his promise. I'm in your midst. And he's yoked. We're yoked to him because we are saved. We're connected to him. And so as we follow him, this is the process of making ourselves ready, just following him. And we follow him. We are going to obey his commands, which is discipleship. It's discipleship. And many of us here are unbelieving believers. Let me say that again. Many of us here are unbelieving believers, meaning Jesus has given us words to do. He's given us things to do. We hear it, but we don't believe it, so we don't move in it. We don't obey it. We don't have a desire to obey. And so we're yoked with Jesus, but we don't want to go where he wants to take us. So go ahead and, 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 and put up the uh, podcast picture, if you will. Look at these. Look at these uh, two strong women of God. So, yeah. My bad. I, I was like, oh, I need my glasses. Anyway. So, Chris, so Katie, are they in here? Uh, okay. Ser- see that? Serving in Children's Church. Making the bride beautiful. So we have podcasts up here. that co- These teachings come from our, from our inner healing classes where um, we want to teach you how to deal with stuff. And so Friday they did a teaching on, on bitter root judgments. Bitter root judgments, all right? And, and, and by the way, listen, some of you have never been to our training. It's October 29th from 9 to 4. It's here. It's free. It's free. It's free. It's here so that when you're yoked up with Jesus, you learn how to obey Jesus. Now, Chris, you've been saying unbelieving believers. I'm a little bit offended. I'm following Jesus. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. Next list, please, Jeremy. So all throughout the day, and we did this at our marriage conference, you and I, we're taking debts. We're taking debts. It's probably already happened this morning where some of you are like, man, the worship style here, I like the other person better. Happens every Sunday across America. And all of a sudden, or I don't like this way person's type of singing, I don't like this song, or by the way, you might be doing that against me, where internally, this guy's too extra. He seems really, really prideful and arrogant. And internally, we're making judgments against people. And you know, don't, don't get mad about that. Don't get offended by that. Read Matthew chapter 18, because the kingdom of heaven is like a king who takes accounts. Do you know you're creating the image and likeness of God, and so you're always taking debts, and you're always internally making judgments. You never say them on the outside, but ooh, they're there on the inside. And some of us, we are so in love because we married the perfect one. And then... After about six months, they're not that perfect. And now they're really not that perfect. And all of a sudden, there's this straw that breaks the camel's back, and we explode because judgment, judgment, debt, debt, judgment, judgment, debt, debt. We're yoked up to Jesus, but we're not doing anything he tells us to do. Because he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He says that you do not hold debts against your brothers and sisters, and he warns us. 
that if we do that, we're going to go into jail. We'll go into prison. And then at the end of Matthew 18, he says, so my heavenly father will do to each one of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. And we disobey Jesus when we hold a debt or a judgment against another brother and sister in Christ. So you see this list here? I gave it out to our, our couples at the marriage conference, and I taught them how to go through this, okay? The first thing, hey, what did the person do? Jot it down. They called me a nag. None of this has ever happened to me before. They said you always. What should they have done? They should have thanked me for coming to them. They should have been appreciative because of my discernment. I wasn't trying to nag them. I was trying to help them. And so not only do I need to forgive them for what they did, but I need to forgive them what they should have done. The last step's important as well, and this is where healing comes in. How did it make you feel? It made me feel worthless. It made me feel not wanted. It made me feel a certain type of way. And so, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I forgive them for what they did. I forgive them for what they should have done. And, God, I give you my hurt. I give you my pain. I give you for what, what I feel here, and I just release that to you. I don't want to carry it anymore, and I'm asking that you come and you heal. You heal the wound. You heal the work. You heal the pain. Please, Jesus. Now, listen, Fridays are my Sabbath day where I shut everything down. And do you know? Through, there's been some Fridays, because that's the day I get alone with God, and I say, okay, God, am I choking anybody out? Do I have issues with anybody? Wife, kids, workers, maybe some of you. Two weeks ago, I had to do this process on about eight people. But once I do it, there's nothing separating. There's nothing separating, right? I'm free. I'm free to love. I'm free to come in and give you some sloppy agape. But this is what Jesus told us to do. Christians, horrible. The church of Jesus Christ, horrible at obeying God. And so the bride makes herself ready. Yeah, guys, listen, there's work that you have to do as you follow Jesus. He's plowing. He's going in a certain direction. And if you are a Christian, you're not allowed to have unforgiveness towards anybody. Period. But yet we do it all the time. We disobey God. And this is why we have these trainings. This is why we have the podcast to help you with judgments, bitter root judgments. Because, again, as I was listening to their podcast, they gave the example of a, a young man who grows up with a mom who's controlling. And she's always being controlling. Then when you get out and you marry someone, and your wife starts doing things that are controlling, you're going to zero to 60 and about 2.5, and you don't know why. And really, she got it from her mama. You brought that in, and now you're putting it on your wife. 
Same things can happen to you ladies. And we wonder why our marriages are a wreck. It's because we have all these judgments. And these things cause division, separation. We're not walking in love. And so the bride, are you making yourself ready? Are you really, really, really being discipled? Are you really entering into discipleship and dealing with your stuff? I was, I was talking with somebody recently and going over this and going over my process. And this, is, this person's a believer. Would, would Somebody would consider him a strong believer as well. But he said to me, I don't want to look at that stuff because that'd be, that wouldn't be good for me. I just want to go forward. Denial. It's not just a river in Egypt. If there's stuff that's in you that's happened to you from when you were little, you know, like, like, you know, I've, I've, I've met women who's, who ra- were raised in a home. Dad was always cheating on mom. Married. Mom would say, men are pigs, men are pigs, men are pigs. And then you get into a marriage and you realize you can't trust this guy that you're with. And it has nothing to do with the guy. It has everything to do with what you've experienced and the reality. And you're living in that past stuff. And Jesus says, hey, 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 it's time to let stuff go. So are you being discipled? Are you being equipped? It's a very simple thing to do, but most of the church, we don't do it. And so the bride making herself ready to walk with purity, with loyalty, with faithfulness, being radiant. Like when we're judging someone, when we're choking somebody out and we have anger and bitterness towards someone, we're not too radiant. We're not too glorious. In fact, we're often gloomy and downcast. And what's wrong with you, bro? Verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. These are the true words of God. Now, I want you to... um, Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 26. How cool is it that as we join Christ in making ourselves ready, but, but understand we're saved by grace, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Everything that I gave you about this debt list That is part of the sanctification process. That is the part of you being yoked to Jesus and following him and obeying his commands. And remember what it says in 1 John 5. It says that his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. These aren't burdensome things. These are things that actually bring freedom. When you begin to love God's law and obey God's law, it actually brings you into freedom. And it's not a burden. And so... Marriage, marriage is a picture of the type of relationship that God wants with us. And it's amazing that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. And now we get a glimpse into heaven 
and what the saints are doing, and there's a wedding that's going on. Jesus is waiting to have a wedding ceremony with us. And so marriage is how we understand God's love for us and the relationship that God wants to have with us. In marriage, a covenant is made between two parties where they both agree. I will give myself completely to you, and you're going to give yourself completely to me. In that covenant, there's terms of agreement. Hey, my bank account is your bank account. Your bank account's my bank account. I'm going to wear this ring. You're going to wear this ring. It wouldn't be a good marriage if some person didn't wear the ring. Amen? And so... In this covenant of marriage, there is a, a ceremony that's done. And once the terms were agreed upon, both parties would have a meal together before the cutting of the covenant. And so the cutting of a covenant, yeah, in Old Testament times, the covenant would be talked about and discussed then there would be a meal, and then they would cut the covenant. The covenant would be an animal. They would cut the animal in half, and then they would spread it apart, and all the guts would be there. And then they would both walk through the animal saying, if I break this covenant, I want you to do to me what we just did to this animal. That was an Old Testament covenant. I wish we'd bring that back to our wedding ceremonies. Because it's very serious, right? And so here's Jesus, though, sharing the meal with the disciples right before he was about to get cut in two. Matthew 26, 26, please. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body. This is my body. And when he took the cup, he'd given thanks and he said, hey, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so this engagement process, Jesus talked about the price to rescue his bride. And the price to rescue his bride was that his body would be broken and his blood would be shed. That's why scripture says we are purchased by the blood of Christ, by the precious blood of Christ. We've been bought. We're no longer our own. We belong to him. Verse 29. This is amazing, and this is how it fits with Revelation 19. And I want you to write Revelation 19 right above 26, so it will remind you. I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Revelation 19, marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus was looking forward to that time. Jesus was looking forward to that time. And then he went and he embraced that cross and he was cut in two. His body was broken. His blood was shed and he died. He became the covenant for us. He became the covenant for us. Jesus... I want you to turn to John 14. This is where we're going to close. I promise. Last place we're turning. Again, back into the Hebrew context of which Jesus was speaking into. They understood covenants. 
They understood the breaking of body for the covenants. They understood a covenant bride price that someone would pay. But they also understood that once there was an engagement, the, the, the groom would go back to their father's house and would usually build something for their front, uh, uh, attached to the father's house. And when it was ready... Then they would come and they would get the bride. And when they would come and get the bride, no one knew when the bride would come, but they had to be ready. They had to be ready. And all of a sudden, when the bride was about to hit the town, trumpets would blow, bah, 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 and everybody would come and gather in a celebration, a week-long feast of celebration. And that's why the wine ran out, because it's not just one day. It's a whole week long of just celebrating, partying, dancing, joy, celebration. Why? Because the groom is here to get the bride and that's what we're waiting on that's why we're making ourselves ready while we wait for our groom to come and get us he's coming he's coming he's coming look at what jesus says he says let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so i would have told you that i go to prepare a place for you and if i go to prepare a place for you i will come again And I will take you to myself. I believe that's the rapture. If you don't believe in the rapture, it's all good. I do. That where I am, here's the heart. I want you to be with me. You're my bride. I love you. I want to dwell with you. I want oneness with you. I want union with you. And he's using the language of the groom going away to prepare a place. And when it's finished, he'll come. Now, here's something mind-blowing, and we're going to get this again when you see Jerusalem prepared, coming down out of heaven as a, a, a adorned for her bride. We're going to get in that uh, Revelation 20, 21. But Jesus says, I'm going to prepare. Do you know the difference between heaven and earth here? Earth, God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. Six days creation, six days. Jesus has been preparing something for us for 2,000 years. Church, let the world and everything in it become strangely dim. You are going to be blown away by what is coming. He has been preparing for you for 2,000 years. And I'm looking forward to that. And you know what? I'm all in on that. I pray your heart begins to seek the kingdom because that's what we live for. He's coming. He's coming for us, his bride. And so as we are the bride of Christ and our king is coming, we are to make ourselves ready, ready for our Savior's return. We don't want to be like foolish virgins who are not prepared, who didn't have oil in their lamp. We want to make ourselves ready for our Savior's return. Are you ready? Are you ready to receive him? Have you entered a covenant with him? He gave all of his life to you. And you know what he asked? Give it all. Give all of your life to me. That's the covenant. That's the covenant. That's the covenant. Everything you have. Everything you have. That's the gospel. All of you, have you done that? Imagine me marrying my wife and saying, hey, everything's yours except my money. How many of us have done that to God? 
Everything's yours, Colleen, but this ring, I'm not going to go public with that. I'm taking my ring off when I'm in public, but when I'm home, I'll wear it. Some of us are like that as well. Where are you today? It's not about just like praying this prayer. Have you given your whole life to God? He wants to marry you. That's that's the gospel. It's not just believe these things about God. No, it's God. I surrender my entire life to you. I'm all yours. I want to be one with you. I want to take on your name. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Prayer partners, if you can come up. As you celebrate communion today, may God give you the ability to look at the face of Jesus, see his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, that he just desires to be one with you, to, to be married to you. And so, Father, I pray for those that are here that have really entered into a gospel of contract where they just wanted their sins forgiven, but they didn't want you, Jesus. They didn't want to be married with you. Jesus, by your grace, I pray you would pull them out of that. And I pray, God, for you to bring them into a deeper relationship with you where they understand the covenant that, they, that there would be a marriage ceremony done today in their hearts with you. Where they say, Jesus, I want all of you. Take all of me. I'm giving you my life. And so, Father, I just pray you would just pour out your spirit right now. We thank you for who you are, for your justice and your mercy, but also the joy and the fact that you want to marry us. You call us your bride. So be glorified today, Jesus. Have your way as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.